Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hi, Emma Whitfield here, account manager at the Webby Awards. I just wanted to let you in on a little secret. The final entry deadline for the 23rd Annual Webby Awards is coming up December 14th. This year, we've added a ton of new categories to honor your work across voice, podcasts, games, social content series and campaigns, branded entertainment, and more. Don't miss your chance to enter. Head on over to webbyawards.com and submit your work before the deadline on Friday, December 14th. Let's get started. From the Webby Awards, I'm David Michelle Davies. This is the Webby Podcast. Now get offline and travel. Guts, heart, passion, drive, Wi-Fi. Geeks can be chic. Make it here, then everywhere. Hey, welcome back. Without the subway, there really is no New York. Its intricate routes have built business sectors and transported people across five boroughs for over a hundred years. Now, aging equipment, a long-running battle over funding, and mind-numbing delays are threatening the future of transit in the Big Apple, and not to be too hyperbolic, but the essence of the city itself. My next guest, Rachel Howe, Executive Director of the Transit Innovation Partnership, is determined to help solve the city's public transit issues by calling on the tech sector. Her team just launched the Transit Tech Lab, an accelerator for entrepreneurs to pilot technology that helps customers better navigate train delays and gets buses to run faster. Rachel and I talked all things transit, innovation, and tech. From the initiative to her time as the Chief Digital Officer of New York City and State, to how government can create equitable transit for low-income communities. To understand the plan to save public transit, you have to understand why transportation is so important to New Yorkers. We know that transit is the key to the future of New York City, and it brings everyone together, and it's part of what makes the city function. And that's why people are, are so upset about it, justifiably. Right now, The transit system is in crisis by any metric. We have record highs of delays on the subway system. Right now, it's around 60,000 delays per month. When we look at the bus system, we have the lowest bus speeds that we've seen since the bus system began. So, for example, in Midtown, we're seeing 3.4 miles per hour. That's about the same speed as walking if you're a New Yorker. Right. Both of those things together have contributed to declining ridership, which further exacerbates the problem because then there's less revenue coming into the MTA and less money to invest in these long-term solutions. I will note that it's, it's it's not just dire. What's good is that right now we have an incredibly strong leadership team at the MTA. At New York City Transit, specifically, there's Andy Byford, the president, and he's put forward a fantastic plan widely and happily received by the transit advocacy community and planners that outlines how we can correct this. There is a lot of investment that has been deferred for a long time that needs to happen now. Key to this is the signal system, which I'm sure you've heard about. Big 60 Minutes report on the subway, which I I think is probably a good thing, I would imagine. More people aware of what's going on probably helps drive change faster. Absolutely. And I think seeing visually the equipment that they're working with, 100-year-old equipment, and they're still moving 8 million people a day, you realize it it truly is the daily miracle, but it doesn't have to be this way. We need to make make improvements. So let's, just to dig in a little bit, to understand for context for people who don't know, what is a delay? Is that like five seconds late? There must be some, you know, and how does that compare to like, say, the heyday years when nobody complained about the subway? I believe that right now in New York, we're around 68% on-time performance. If you look at other systems, for example, you look at Singapore, you look at 
Tokyo, they're around 98. Tokyo is actually 100% on time. Wow. They apologize when their trains are early. Um, but even if you're looking at systems in Paris and London, which have, which have a similar makeup, they're as old as ours, they're, they're usually in the 90s in terms of their percentage of on-time arrivals. A delay, the definition of a delay is more than five minutes later than it's supposed to be arriving. Most New Yorkers don't realize, especially if they live in areas where there are frequent trains, that there's actually a schedule and there are specific times when the train is supposed to arrive. Most people just, they, they just don't want to wait too long when, right. they're, when they're at the platform. Yeah. But a delay is more than, uh, than five minutes. Right. Okay. And so whether somebody realizes that it was supposed to be there at 11.05 or 11.07, the, the five-minute thing does also give you some amount of like how off of the frequency of how long somebody would wait if they were standing there. And that's sort of at the end of the day, people show up at rush hour, they expect there to be a train at some point soon. It's true. And if you start to get into this, the true transportation wonks, there's all kinds of debate about should we be looking at delays vis-a-vis -vis the schedule or should we be looking at wait times or should we be looking at journey times? And what Andy Byford, the president of New York City Transit, often points to is journey times are a good indicator because that really is a customer-centric way of looking at, at the challenge. Because if your journey, if your commute, for example, is supposed to take half an hour and it takes an hour, or if it's supposed to take half an hour, it takes 40 minutes, that, that means a lot. Uh, that, that has different meaning to you than, you know, 68% on time. So, so those are some of the different metrics that they use to look at these things. But by any indicator, if you walk into a subway station and you see something over you know, 15 minutes for the next train, you're usually not happy about that. And right. so all of the measures in Andy Byford's fast forward plan that have been laid out are meant to address this. And just for the sake of, well, let's, we'll stipulate, because we could talk about this you know, why question for a really long time, um, but we, you can agree or disagree, but generally we can say that Overall, state leadership and city leadership has spent less money on the subway over a long period of time than probably now looking back, we would have hoped as a very political way of saying it's been underfunded. It, it has been underfunded and it still is underfunded. Right. There is not a sustainable means of funding the system right now, let alone the, the investments that need to be made to bring it up to speed and to make it a world-class system. Yeah. So those are... And every year, it's this big challenge to fill that gap, and it makes it very difficult to operate, and it forces the MTA to make a lot of very difficult decisions, impossible decisions. And thankfully, they're always focused on, on safety, and that's going to be number one, but it is this underinvestment. And so that's one of the reasons why looking at ways to add funding, looking at things like congestion pricing, which also would reduce congestion and help those buses move more quickly, for example through Midtown are some of the productive things we can do to try to help the subway system move forward and also send that message to our elected officials yeah. that this is important. And, and I want to talk about your role, uh, your new role, and a bunch of the new initiatives you have to help solve some of these problems in just a second. Um, before we move on, I just one thing I would just want to bring up and talk about a bit is that the, the, the worst part about this whole thing is that it actually affects uh, people who are less well off more than anybody else, right? Because, uh, you know, real estate in the city is very, very expensive. So lots and lots and lots of people, millions of people come into the city every day. And the further and further out you are, the longer and more significant any delay that happens anywhere affects you. And so like, if you're somebody who normally had a 50 minute commute, which is a pretty long commute, and you're, you know, in an outer borough or even in a different state here, and now you're at an hour and 20 or hour 30, it's unpredictable. It's really challenging for those people to have, to not be able to depend on this every day, right? Yes. And for many of them, it, it can mean the difference between having a job and not having a job. Um, if, if their commute is preventing them from being productive and arriving to work on time, that's not even looking at quality of life and how much less time they're, they're spending with family or working, doing schoolwork or other kinds of stress. As you said, it's exactly true. The further you move away from the central business district of Manhattan, that's where you have lower income housing, and that's where people are forced to live when they can't afford to live in those areas. And that's unfortunately where the transportation problems are exacerbated. So, for example, on the subway, if you're closer to the central business 
district and you encounter a few delays, that's different than if you encounter five times as many delays because your commute is five times as long. Right. And so then you, you're you ending up with an ex, a very stressful situation. The other related issue is around buses. So a lot of areas that are further away from the, the where many of the jobs are located in New York City are not served by subways. Not a lot, but some of them are. And the ones that are not served by subways are served by buses. And if the buses are moving slowly or they're unreliable and you don't know when they're going to arrive, and it makes it difficult for you to plan your day and get to work on time, then that's unfairly impacting low-income communities as well. So those tie in, thankfully, to two of the areas we're focused on with the Transit Tech Lab. And it also speaks to the fact that public transit is one of the great equalizers in New York City. It's connecting the entire city and all the people and the goods that move through it. And one of the interesting things about transportation is it reflects where people live and where they work. And that's, it's one of the things I learned as I've learned more about transportation is a lot of it is also about housing and where people are living and where they're able to afford to live because then transportation is the link to their employment or schools. Yeah. And for, you know, and I think for New York City residents who've lived here for a short amount of time or a long time, one of the reasons people live here and love it is because so many people from so many parts of the world live here and there's something undefinable about that quality of life here. Um, and part of that is being able to get everybody around, right? And so it, it really like, it pushes into like this very core New York value that we're having these troubles. It is. And I, I do think, I mean, I, I was born in Manhattan. I grew up in, in Park Slope. I've lived in the city a long time. And some of my earliest memories were taking the subway and how excited I was to take the subway and it is, in many ways, the gem of, of New York City. And we do forget that most other systems around the world do not operate 24-7. They, they don't have as many stops. Yeah. We have, while we don't have the largest system in terms of miles, um, we do have many more stops for the density that we're in. So there is that level of, of convenience for communities that are served by the subways. So I do think it's important to note that the majority of the time people people are served well by their trips through through the subway, but it's impossible to ignore that that right now things things are worse than they've been in in, a, in recent memory yeah. in a long time. So you have this great background. Um, you've helped the city adapt technology. You've helped the state adapt technology for better government, better services. Uh, we'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, you've taken on this new role with the Transit Innovation Partnership. Tell us about the organization. Tell us what you're doing. Um, and it's really focused on how uh, the tech community, specifically in business community, can help improve and support the updating and upgrading of the subway system. Yes. So just to tie the, the first two roles to this one, when I was at the city and when I was at the state, whenever we were approaching a project, we would start by looking at the data. Mayor Bloomberg is a very data-driven leader. And that was enormously helpful because it also helps to make decision making a lot easier. And when we looked at people, what people wanted to know, number one, after jobs, jobs are always first, in terms of pure information was transportation, especially in terms of real-time transportation. So one of the first things that we did, even though most people don't realize the MTA is different from the city, it's different from the state, everything is separate, we started to bring in the data feeds from the subway service alerts into the page we had about 311, the, the, the information that we had about the subway system, about services and complaints in New York City because people were asking about so much. So I had long been very interested in getting more involved in this space because I knew it was so critical to New Yorkers and serving them and helping them get around and live their lives. And when uh, Kathy Wild, who's the president and CEO of the Partnership for New York City reached out about this role, I was very excited because public transit is such a critical issue. And it really is a unique moment to bring in support from the private sector to help to solve these problems and help to support the work that's underway at the MTA. And everything from endorsing and supporting the plan that Andy Byford has put together for Fast Forward, I can't say that enough, um, to helping to bring private sector business resources, assets to bear in a way that's productive and helpful to the MTA. We are an amazing city. We are full of such creativity and so much talent. And to apply that to the transit system is, is a great opportunity. And so I was very excited about that. So the, 
the partnership for New York City partnered with the MTA to launch the Transit Innovation Partnership. We have a board of business and civic organization leaders. It's chaired by Alan Fishman, the chairman of Ladder Capital, and Pat Foy, who is the president at MTA and the really leading the innovation efforts is our, is our main partner there. And our first initiative is the Transit Tech Lab. Interesting. And so, and so tell us about, before we get into the Tech Lab, the partnership is ultimately a bunch of business leaders who have decided to come together and overall have business support in New York in different ways. And they work with city government and all sorts of different factions of New York to try and help and support, right? And so this yes. is specifically a, exactly. a, like a verticalization of this for transportation. Exactly. The partnership is a business leadership organization in New York City. It's a nonprofit. And not surprisingly, the business community feels that public transit is the biggest issue impacting the future of, their, of the viability of New York's economy and our competitiveness. And they also know that they have a lot that they could offer to, to try and help and support it. And what's, what's great is that when I speak with companies across the board, they're so excited to help. And, um, and I should note pro bono and you know, donate their services, contribute their services to help do this because they have this real love of New York and they have this real support for the system. And the partnership it really gets involved in sort of bridging that you know, space between government and business to help to make sure um, that we're making New York City the, the best that, that it can be. Yeah. So, I mean, sounds great, right? I mean, every, like, no, everybody wants you to win. Everybody wants the subway to win. It's just like, uh, it's a, I mean, I can't think of any other thing that's more unifying than like wanting to love the subway. I would hope City, so. Right? Yeah, it's, it's, it's really. It's... Um, so you, you have a couple of new initiatives out that got some press, which is really exciting to see. And you're drawing on some of your experiences in the past and looking at ways you can bring the New York tech community together to help solve some of these problems. Can you, can you tell us about that? Yes. Yeah, so the first program that we've launched is the Transit Tech Lab. And we were excited to partner with New York City transit staff across the organization, as I'm sure you know, MTA includes not just subways and buses, but Metro North, Long Island Railroad, bridges and tunnels. And so we, we cast a wide net and we purposely started by asking individuals across the organization, what's that problem you've been trying to solve for 10 years? How can we be helpful? Because we didn't want to come to them with solutions looking for a problem. We know there are enough challenges mm. that helping to complement and support the ones that are already high priority was the way that we wanted to go. And so we targeted challenges that will impact performance and customer service as our, as our criteria. And we also targeted challenges that didn't already have dedicated resources or staff to support them so that we could be complementary. And what came out of that process was we started with a very long laundry tell, list. Tell me, some, just before we get into the two specific things, tell me about some of the things you heard from uh, leaders and people in these different transportation sectors. Like, what are the problems, what are some of the interesting problems that you heard about? There, so we, we heard dozens and dozens of opportunities of things that could help to improve the system. And we spoke with both current MTA employees, former MTA employees, also entrepreneurs, technologists who are innovating. And we heard a range of things. We, we heard a lot that really core to this is supporting the people who work at the MTA. And yeah. that's the number one priority. And Andy Byford has reflected that in his fast forward plan. He has, he has four tenets of his plan, and one of them is investing in the people. And that's the same thing that I've seen across the city and the state is that the most important thing is not it is important to launch new products and new tools that help to make a difference and prove that you're able to do that. But the, the most important thing you can do is to send that signal to those teams that you support them and to engage them and to support that continuous improvement and that internal push for innovation. And again, what we found was there are amazing innovators at New York City Transit. For example, the teams that built bus time, mm, which allows you to see, yes, yeah. in real time uh, where the bus is. And it's, and it's amazing. That's an amazing story because they, they were very creative in, in how they came about doing it and very innovative and resourceful and scrappy in the way that, that yeah. entrepreneurs are. And similarly, while the MTA does have a large budget because they do enormous infrastructure, the, the resources within the teams are like every, Every level of government, 
they are limited. And so people are forced to be creative every single day. People yeah. are forced to be entrepreneurial in that way. So so that was really the core of what we heard and 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 how how we could be helpful. And that was that was how we decided that we wanted to guide this by identifying high priority projects because that also indicated that there would be a, a team that would be excited to run with that and that it would actually help make their jobs easier yeah. moving forward. I'd say the other big the two sort of big bright points that immediately became clear, one was data. The opportunity for data to transform transportation is enormous. We're seeing it across the board in the mobility sector, and there's so much exciting activity in mobility. And applying that to transit, there's there's a huge opportunity that we, we can really yeah. further is there, explore. Is there a lot of data available right now around uh, transportation in the city? Like, you know, as, uh, you know, if you think about private companies like Lyft or Uber, you know, they've, they've built the whole company and the infrastructure around collecting data at every single point. The subway and the bus system and Metro North have been built for years and years and years and probably weren't built that way to start. Of course not. How is the, how is the like amount of, is the amount of data that is there suffice? Is that a big, big initiative, like making sure there's more data collection? That, I would say that's a big initiative. So yes, when these systems were built, they were analog. Right. There, there are systems that are still truly mechanical. Some of the some of the, the signals, the way they work right now, are you're literally moving pieces. It's 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 barely electrical. It's truly mechanical. So the um, so the data is there, but collecting it, cleaning it up, making it available in a way that's productive, whether that's through APIs or other means, is that's the work that needs to be done. And often it's hard to make the case for those investments because you're focused on the day to day yeah. maintenance and operations, but there, there is a strong focus on data. We know that from, uh, again, from the leadership, and we hear this from, from Pat Boy and Andy Byford, that using data to help to support and run the system will be important. And for example, the new signaling system that's proposed, communication-based train control, sorry to use jargon, but it's CBTC, will bring a lot more data to this because right now, as was seen in the 60 Minutes um, piece, there's extremely little information about where half the system's trains are at any given time. Right. So once once we do have that information, you can make you can improve operations, you can improve customer service. There's there's so much that can happen. So the data is there. Sometimes it's being collected, but it's not in a way that's easy to get. And sometimes it's not yet being collected. And those are all really exciting opportunities because they don't necessarily need to cost a lot of money. It's more about again engaging the tech talent that can do that. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Yeah, I mean, a lot of, a lot of fans of Subway time here at the Webby Award office. That's uh, great. And we're, I, I'm, it's always, not shocking, but I'm always still surprised. It's very, very accurate, Subway time. It's very rare that it says that it's coming in three minutes and it's not there in three minutes, which given the scale of everything is, is good to see. So yes, that seems, and, that, that and that's positive. one step. And one of the things I should note is that for one of our challenges, that focuses on subways, in order to build out that challenge, they produced even more data. So putting up historical archives of arrival times of trains. So what's been exciting about this challenge is it's, it's spurred more focus on making data available because it's shown that there's, there's a potential outcome that can mm -hmm. help improve the system. So talk about the two challenges specifically sure. that you've come up with and that you've launched. And I think there's a deadline for people who are interested in submitting to them, which we'll talk about in a second, which is the end of November. But tell us about the challenges themselves. Yes. So this is the Transit Tech Lab, and you can learn more at transitinnovation.org. 
there are two challenges that reflect those two bright points. So the first one I mentioned was around data, and the second is around buses, and I'll speak to that in, in a moment. So the first challenge asks, how can we better predict and prevent subway delays and then communicate that to customers? And this speaks to some of the experience that we had in the early days touring the rail control center, which is the nerve center of the subway system. And it's where the dispatchers are making decisions for routing the trains. And especially if, for example, something goes wrong, there's an unexpected delay, a train is stopped, and they're, they're working to figure out the cause and identifying what to do, the process for taking that forward. And because of the limited data that we were talking about, because of, for example, the, limited, the limitations of the current signal system, there isn't currently a viable way to say, if something goes wrong, let's use data to identify the best possible way to resolve this. And let's try to identify what will have the minimal impact on everyone using the system right now. But mentioning products and systems like Uber and Lyft, you know that those frameworks exist and they could easily be built, or maybe not easily, but they sure. could be built. And it's so trivial as a technologist would say, but difficult to actually maybe do. Well, it comes down, yes, yeah. and it comes down to the quality of the data and the availability of the data. So we're asking for a range of approaches to that challenge. We want it to be narrow enough that it's workable for the MTA, but wide enough that we're op open to new solutions. So for example, could you use historical train arrival times to build a predictive model where right. when something goes wrong, you punch it in and you have a sense of, okay, if we do A, this will be the impact. If we do B, this will be the impact. And then you make that informed decision. And then building on that, supporting the communications teams. I, I know that in the 60 Minutes piece, and there have been a few profiles of the people who are communicating in real time on Twitter with customers, an extremely challenging job, but very important because yeah. that's where you get, you, you get people who are really passionate about what's happening in the moment and they need a resolution and rightly so. So how can we support those teams and help to make sure that they have the information that they need so that, for example, if there's going to be a longer delay, you get that information immediately as a customer so you can make other choices or you can right. use other modes of transportation. So, right. I mean, that's that's like the old, like waiting for the elevator. If you don't know what floor the elevator is on, it's like a thousand times more frustrating if you don't see it's five or three than if you just, you know. Yes. And it speaks. It's the same concept. It's right? similar to the countdown clocks, right. uh, but speaking more specifically to what happens if there's a delay, yeah. which the system is not currently, the you know, configured to to handle if there's a delay how how do you surface that on how do you present that on a countdown clock or in other means right and so what kind, i mean you imagine what kind of salute i mean obviously if you knew the exact solutions you would need to have the initiative but you must imagine general ideas and do you think it's, is this like companies are going to be submitting these things yes, who already yes. work in transportation or is it so yes to companies we envision growth stage startups really is is what the the um ideal uh, partner for this is, but they should have a working prototype. So they have to have something that is out there in the market being used. So it's okay. tested. And okay. that way we're de-risking this process of trying a new technology, but we're not, we're not expecting a fully bespoke custom Im implementation, which, which for this would not be the right, the right fit. And so it's so, not like sit in a room and come up with a great idea and give us your ideas. It's more, it's a call really to products and services that exist out there and how could they be customized or thought of in a way that would yes. improve this specific thing. So exactly. So and call for proposals. Coming it's out, yeah. yes. And so it's, we're looking for existing companies that are either in the mobility space or adjacent to it. For example, with this challenge, we see a lot of opportunity in machine learning and in data. The, there is a sophisticated data team within the MTA and they, some of the challenges they describe to us is there are, because of the interoperability of the New York City transit system, which I didn't realize is unique in the fact that trains can go on different tracks and routes. And when something goes wrong, there are, there are a very large number of potential outcomes and different ways you can reroute. It does make it difficult to model, but this is the type of data set or the type of data problem that could be interesting for machine learning hmm. or other or, you know, more simple predictive yeah. analytics models. So we're, for that challenge, we see a lot of opportunity in the data space and the machine learning space. And we also see opportunity around real-time communications tools. And there, we're more open. There are some existing tools, but we think that there could be some, some new things there. And, um, and just so that you're aware of the, of the process, November 30th is the deadline. 
after that point, successful companies or the sort of most compelling companies will be invited back for demos. And then the New York City Transit will identify which companies they're interested in. And they participate in this eight-week accelerator where essentially we're helping to encourage close collaboration because often government and startups speak different languages and they don't really know how to navigate in the other's world or they speak, they have jargon, et cetera. And so that eight weeks is to really get more into the weeds of what do we need to do to make this work for the MTA? What would be compelling for you? What are the changes that need to be made or what's already working? And at the end of that, the MTA makes a decision to move forward. The outcome is a pilot with the system. Currently, the pilot is unpaid, and it's a year-long pilot. And beyond that point, if the MTA decides to move forward, they do sort of their typical process for procuring a vendor. Mm-hmm. Um, so at this point, the, the real advantage would be the opportunity to point to the MTA as a partner and a case study, having as the largest transit system in the country, and the opportunity to modify your technology and having, having sort of cleared that hurdle of making it work right. with the MTA. Right. It's a lot of scale, a lot of ability to test. And just like we it saw is. with city bikes, a lot of the companies that do the city bikes here in New York then do them in 37 other cities around the world. And that's Exactly. A, yeah. You can bring this to other markets. Yeah. Um, and so talk about the second issue, which is around so, traffic, which people yes. also have a lot of opinions and, and yes. thoughts of, um, so, specifically around buses, right? So the second challenge is around buses. And buses came up so much during our process because there's enormous potential. And they do have this reputation, I think, of, you know, people, it's, you know, they don't take the bus or it's not cool to take the bus. But buses are our short-term best bet for fast improvements. And there's so much we can do for a number of obvious reasons. From a technical perspective, buses are above ground. They have connectivity. So below ground, there's limited connectivity in the tunnels. There's connectivity in, in you know, internet access, cellular access in stations, but not in the tunnels. Above ground, there's nearly ubiquitous connectivity. The second piece is that below ground, trains can only run on tracks. Right. Above ground, you have all of the streets of New York City. and the New York City Transit has acknowledged themselves that the, the routes haven't been updated for a long time. So when you look at all the technology that's in, that's already out in the market from a mobility perspective with some, you know, the four hire vehicles companies, et cetera, there's a lot of opportunity to make those buses move more efficiently. We also have the opportunity of, we have bus lanes, we have bus only lanes. And unfortunately, they're not as effective as they could be right now. I know that NYPD is stepping up enforcement, et cetera. But we're looking at tools that would automate that process. So, for example, could computer vision help to identify if a vehicle's blocking the bus lane and then there's an automated, you know, violation or ticket and people will get the message and then the bus lanes can become more clear. But we're also looking at, you know, could it be um, sensors? Could it be radar? Could it be LIDAR? What are all the different ways that we could look at this? Could you look at demand-driven models where you're you're making buses um, more responsive to the demand that they, they have or don't have at a given time so that they're not making unnecessary stops or they're moving more quickly to, to different areas or taking different routes. Right. So there's enormous opportunity for buses. Right. So everything from, let's use data to just better understand the actual traffic patterns to improve the routes themselves. Let's use technology to just keep the lanes clear, which are great things when they work. And then even all the way up to like the minute by minute, maybe the buses will change routes or do something different based on where people really need to go. Yes. And there's examples and experiments happening um, all over the world around in these areas where you're looking at, could there be an on-demand model where perhaps you have an app and you tell the bus driver where you're going before you get on the bus so that the bus can take a more efficient route. Yeah. And that's another exciting opportunity. But that one's that one's quite wide. So it could be computer vision. It could be using geography and newer mobility right. tools. I'm going to restrain myself from asking you whether services like Uber and Lyft are overall good for cities or bad for cities. I'll, I'll leave that for another. Well, so there was recently a study released, I think just last week, that said that after two years, Uber and Lyft complement and support public transit use. In New York, we've seen skyrocketing rates of using for higher vehicles and we have seen declining ridership and they probably are linked there are existing customer behavior patterns that we just have to recognize if that's how people are getting around that's how they're getting around and there's a lot of um there's something to be said for looking at last mile people are for example 
taking an Uber or a Lyft to a subway station, which I have done. I live in Rockway. I have done that to get to a, you know, a closer subway station. If people are augmenting, you know, are taking city bike to get to the bus, it's hard for us to capture a lot of this in planning, but the tools are certainly there. And I think it's something there's a lot of interest in, but I think we need to look at it as, as, a, as a network. And to ignore the fact that there are other ways that people are getting around is not helpful. We, right. need to, we need to be recognizing what we're doing. And so finding ways to streamline that, finding ways to help people move from a poor hire vehicle, if that's what they're doing, to, or ride share, for example, find ways to encourage ride shares in congested areas and then link them to transit. There's a, there's a lot of interesting experiments happening. For example, I know that Lyft has partnered in LA with their metro system to um, integrate uh, subway stops and even payment so that you can sort of pay for your subway ticket through your Lyft app. So things like right. that, yeah. that that help to bring them all together. I think it's most important to recognize we can do some things to encourage behavior and we need to come to where people are yeah. and recognize how they're living their lives. Yeah, and certainly there's a lot of evidence or at least anecdotal of like sort of on the last mile of people being able to live further away from Metro North now because, you know, they can take Uber lift to Metro right. North, which, exactly. you know, is in, in all sorts of places. So, yeah. um, and then I guess you have to think about the congestion issues and whether people, whether the subway and buses working less efficiently is driving people to use some of these services more. It's very like, dynamic. Yeah, yeah, I understand. Um, so we talked a bit about the beginning about how some of the problems of this can affect communities that are already underserved. How do you think about specifically that role of equity in the work that you're doing, how do you make sure that that is driven at being equitable for everyone, right? So that we don't just solve the problem of the people in the central business district or in Williamsburg, but that this is really addressing and solving the people who are experiencing, experiencing this problem in, in sort of the worst way and it's having the biggest impact. Fortunately, that is completely baked into the MTA. Uh, the New York City Transit itself employs you know, 50,000 people and most of them are many of them live further out and they are also customers. They are also passengers in a lot of these systems. And so in all the discussions that we have in terms of planning, that's who we're starting our conversations with. And that's, that's how we're understanding the system. And when you do have a data-driven system, that's who it's serving. So, so thankfully, that's, that has been the, the framework that we've used when we're looking at the challenges that need to be addressed because it's very um, rewarding to get to work with the people who work at New York City Transit and the MTA because they, they are there because they're passionate about this and they're proud to move 8 million people a day and they know how much work goes into it. They also know that it's, it's not just Manhattan and that they're, and many of them live in the communities yeah. that are the furthest out and that they're serving. So, so that's, that's been an outcome of this. I think it's been baked into the process from the beginning. The other thing that's been important is that um, Andy Byford and his team have been doing town halls in every borough and especially making sure that they're talking to the so-called outer boroughs beyond Manhattan to understand their needs. And that's been a key part of the fast forward plan and it will be going forward. And as we look forward, looking to build more tools that encourage participation, especially around things like the future development of the, the, the bus route. So as a separate from the Transit Tech Lab, there, isn't, there will be a complete um, rethinking of the bus, net for, bus network right now because it was created decades ago yeah. from the time of trolleys and it hasn't evolved in a data-driven way. It has sometimes been politically influenced, et cetera. And what's really exciting, speaking to the question of equity, is that, that, that Andy has laid out a process where he's going to be engaging the communities that are most impacted. And those are the communities that are most served by the buses, that are furthest out from the business districts, that are lowest income areas. And so I'm very confident that he's making it a priority. And I'm, I'm excited to see that. And I think that's also reflected in the enormous um, support and empathy he has for his team. You can, you can just see it in the, in the way that he talks about his teams and the way that he's empowering them. And it, it all goes hand, hand in hand. Do you think that we're, I mean, do you think that not only just the New York, New York, not just the MTA in New York City, but just generally, like you were talking about use of machine learning to solve some of these problems, specifically around alerting, figuring out what the best way of fixing subway delays and alerting people to that. 
Um, there's been a lot of discussion, rightfully so, um, around how communities of color and communities that are underserved and communities that have typically been discriminated against do get discriminated against in machine learning environments because the data that those machine learning environments are used, or the, that is used to build those softwares are awesome, often discriminatory. Do you think that like city governments and government at large is ready to wrestle with those issues? You know, I mean, you see companies like Facebook, which have unlimited amount of resources who are clearly trying to do good by, you know, by those issues, but have been failing in many cases having problems with it. Do you think like, is this just going to make it worse for those people? I think it's, I think it's a huge issue. I think one thing I would point to about those processes, and I'm not an expert on AI and ethics, but I'm obviously familiar with the issues that you're talking about, is that I think a lot of it has to do with who's inputting the data and who's choosing the data. Mm. And if you have a data set that excludes huge numbers of people, or if you have a data set that's perpetuating biases that have created imbalances that exist today, you shouldn't be surprised if a machine learning algorithm yeah. then produces a system that replicates that. One of the strongest things about the MTA staff is it's, um, you know, 50,000 people at New York City Transit alone, they are incredibly diverse. Yeah. And there's um, a strong representation also uh, of immigrants. And it's when, when I meet with the teams, it really reflects the fabric of New York. And so I think that's one really good thing yeah. that, that, um, that we have going for us in, in, in that context is that the people inputting the data and the people who are running these systems right now are a diverse group of people. Right. And so hopefully that, that, will help to avoid, that will help to avoid some of those challenges, but it's absolutely something that needs to be a part of the process is, is, is making sure that it's supporting an equitable outcome. Yeah, um, that's really interesting. So they don't have that sort of, for, I mean, there's a lot of problems in the world, but th they fortunately don't have the problem that a lot of these like Silicon Valley companies that are making these products have, which is not being diverse or making, you know, products for communities that they don't necessarily aren't part of themselves or don't know as well. They are, no. at the end of the day, yes. they are New Yorkers from all boroughs and very diverse. And yes, they at the very least are... have personal empathy for the, Exactly. Yeah. They they are very representative of of the people that they serve and and of New York. So I think that that's that is one of the one of the true strengths. But again, it's always important to remember that technology is not an an end in and of itself. It's a tool that we can yeah. use in in any different way. And so we just we need to make sure that we're we're using it in an effective way and in a thoughtful way. So one thing I just kind of wrap up because you've had such experience um, with. Uh, using technologies in cities. I know you also brought together digital officers from all around the world um, when you were chief digital officer in New York as part of a you know sharing learnings that cities could could learn from each other. So I know you have a lot of experience in this, and I, you know I think this is probably a very long topic question we could talk about for a while. But I just just want to touch on it a bit, which is you know I think most people have mobile phones and most people are starting to experience and use apps which are relatively sophisticated um, and they expect that that's the experience they'll have in all walks of life, right? And I think that in many cases that's the case, but for whatever reason, it's not just New York, it's cities all around the world. You know, once they, when they go into the world of government or city services or social services, suddenly it's like they're 25 years in the past, right? And why is that? You yes. know, why? Because I would, I would, and just to put some context, so I was looking at this, you said 8 million riders in New York City subway, right? I have per day. Per day. I had 6 million. So 8 million, about $2.50. I mean, it's close to $20 million a day. We're probably looking at, you know, 6 or $7 billion in revenue. Just riders, not even funding. That is on par with the Central Bank of India, with NASDAQ. That's, I mean, listen, it's not $100 billion, but it's a, it's a lot of money. Um, other organizations that have budgets like that have you know, digital services were, which are more in line with that type of thing. What are some of the key reasons um, that we see this like in city governments, especially around the U.S. or city services, I guess I should say. So that it is true that we could speak about this yeah. for a very long no, time. No, I know. I know. Um, just on the, just on the transit system in terms of, of the, of the numbers, the, um, the, the thing to keep in mind is that the average, um, um, sorry, the, the average subway ride is heavily subsidized already. So right. we, I, I know that there, you know, especially when there's declining 
um, service. People are upset. They'll say, you know, I spent so much money on this. But actually, if you compare it to other systems, first, we have a flat fare, which means that no matter the distance you're going, it's $2.75, even less if you have a monthly pass. Yeah. And that is that is virtually unparalleled in a major metropolitan system. The um, It's the best value in the world. This, it's too it good is. of a value. It's incredible. And, and it doesn't mean that I think that people who are far away should pay more, but it, it's insane. You go to London, it's $7 it for a much shorter ride and, in every city. Yeah. And actually, it speaks to the equity issue that you're talking about. Equity is 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 very much supported by having a flat fare. Yeah. And, and that is one way that the system is definitely loses more money on those longer rides. Yeah but acknowledges that the people who are taking those longer rides are often in lower income communities. And I'd point to that as, as one of the strongest, um, you know, the strongest sort of points around equity related to the public transit system. So first the, um, you know, the, the system is operating at a deficit. It, it employs again, uh, 50,000 people. The MTA as a whole is more around 70,000 people and it supports um, a, you know, Good working class jobs, pensions, and benefits that are virtually unparalleled in the public sector. It maintains a wide amount of, of real estate, and so um, there are always ways to to reduce costs. But it's it's hard to sort of do apples and, and yeah. I mean, I guess apples, let me reframe what I would say yeah. is, I mean, just for people who take the subway and think that the sub the people who work on the subway or the buses that it's their fault that it's late. Right. It's the most ridiculous yeah. thing I've ever heard, right? So let's just yeah. so yeah. um I guess what I let me reframe, which is why don't right. we why, why don't we care more about these things? Or what is it about, you know, the fact that New Yorkers love the subway but don't want to pay five dollars for a sub or don't want to fund it or don't want to ask the mayor and state government. Like why don't we see it as an issue? Is it just too it's like we, we have to invest today and it's in 25 years that we get the results. Is that sort of the issue you've seen? Or Yeah, I, I think I think it comes back to messaging and I think it comes back to, to maintenance. Maintenance is not exciting. Yeah. It's building new things, cutting ribbons. That's what people get excited about. That's what you get big photo ops for. Um, the, the challenge with um, public transit, and I saw this, for example, in a lot of government IT, is that you sort of only really hear about them when something goes wrong. Yeah. When everything goes right, it's as expected. And that is in spite of just just think of New York and the scale of New York and the thousands of things that happen every day on the system are unbelievable. The, cha the, the crazy things that happen, the challenging things that happen, it's communication. I think yeah. part of it is people aren't aware. And the idea that we're going to have to, for example, go through a challenging period where we have subway closures so they can fix them all is not exciting. Yeah. The idea that um, we are going to have to find ways to fund this, for example, through congestion pricing, these are the types of conversations that are that are tough. But I think it's absolutely the time for New Yorkers to come together and say, this this is important. If we care about the future of our city, we need to invest in this. So, so I'd say that those are some of the challenges. Um, one of the reasons I was so excited to join the city at the time is that you had seen this explosion in the way that people get information and communicate and share things with the world, but it had not carried over into government at all. And we, we knew that it wouldn't, it's, it's not difficult to do it technically. Um, it's more, it can be more challenging, you know, sort of politically because it's such a different way of doing business. And so that's one of the things that was so exciting about being the chief digital officer at the city and then taking the similar role at the state is that to take all the amazing things that the city is doing and then create an interface that makes it really customer centric where it's accessible and it's intuitive and they're not using jargon and you don't have to first figure out which agency is in charge of solving your problem because there are seven different agencies that can issue tickets, for right. example, and instead you just have a simple interface. That That's what was really exciting. I think part of the reason is risk aversion. Governments are averse to risk. They're under constant scrutiny from the press, and they're usually hearing more about how they got something wrong than, than right. how they did things well. But that's where the support of the tech community, and you know, we work together on things like Internet Week and Mapped in New York, where we show, showed visually where all the companies were that were hiring in New York. And still to this day, I find people who tell me they got their jobs through that map yeah. because they found, they found something there. Um, that was really instrumental in saying there's a real public need here. And so I think it speaks to the public also has a voice in saying, oh, this is important. This can be, you know, this can be positive. The other thing is it's just really difficult to, to buy technology in government 
and to hire technologists into government because people who are interested in technology, some of them love to solve the challenges of government, but the sort of constraints of working in government may not appeal to them. And so that's why coming up with ways, whether it's the lab or it's hackathons and different challenges, um, reinventnyc.gov, which led to the future website, reinvent um, telephone booths, which led to Link NYC. Yeah. These are some of the, the modes that we have to create collaboration and then also get people excited about how different things could be and what they could look like. Rachel Hout, there are literally millions of New Yorkers rooting for you. Thank you so much for joining Thank us. Thank you on the so much. Thank you. Thank you so much to Rachel for stopping by. The Transit Tech Lab is an incredibly important initiative that has the potential to transform one of the largest cities in the world. The deadline to apply is Friday, November 30th. Head over to transitinnovation.org and follow Rachel at Rachel Hout, that's R-A-C-H-E-L-H-A-O-T, for more info. The Lovey Awards, the European sister to the Webbies, is coming up in November in London. So we're going on a short break while we are over there producing the show, but we'll be back with more stories of the internet in late November. Meantime, you can see some of the best of the European internet by visiting loveyawards.eu, L-O-V-I-E-A-W-A-R-D-S dot E-U. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like what you're hearing, would you consider leaving us a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts? You can also visit our site at webbywords.com and feel free to get in touch with me at dmdlikes, D-M-D-L-I-K-E-S on Twitter and at the Webby Awards on Instagram and Twitter. As always, I'm your host, David Michelle Davies. Our producer is Sebastian Aday. Our editorial director is Nicole Ferraro. Research and writing by Jordana Jarrett. Music is Poddington Bear. Claire Graves is Angela Carolla. And this is the Webby Podcast. 